time to buy in. You're listening to the Noble Capital Radio Hour. Now, let's start the hour. Welcome to this week's episode of the Noble Capital Radio Hour, where we explore income strategies for the modern financial landscape. I'm Sean Harris. And to the left of me, the sensei of your self-directed IRA, the architect of abundance, the Jackie Chan of your income plan, Jess the Jade Dragon Hamill. <laughs> it's more interesting every time. Good morning. You sense a theme? You need to work the Harley under some and to my right, he has a black belt in business, the master of monetary meditations, the people's champion, Jaden, the enlightened one, Newman. Yo, 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 Sean. What's up? Good morning. Thank you for having me back on the show. And how you doing there, Jess? You're looking sharp. I'm doing great, man. I can't wait to uh, get out and get on the bike. Yeah, you even wear a, a, a tie on Sundays. What's wrong with you, man? Hey, man, it's Sunday. My Sunday go to meeting clothes. <laughs> That's true. Sunday fun day. Your Sunday best, huh? Leave, leave here, go to meeting, and then go get on the bike. Nice. Excellent, excellent. Well, anybody notice anything different about me? You got no hair? Yeah, I, I got my summer haircut going on. It's warming, out up, warming up out there, and uh, it's just that time of year, man. For the life of me, I can't imagine why somebody with that much in a hairline would not want to have hair. <laughs> it looks good. I, I like the look. If I, if I had that hairline, man, I'd be down to my shoulders for sure. Well, not not to take a jab at you or anything, but I can grow it back anytime I want. So yeah, that's... thanks. I really feel good now. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you haven't listened to the show before, or if you need a gentle reminder, we're Noble Capital Wealth Management, a financial advising and income planning firm focused on helping our clients achieve financial freedom through predictable lifetime income. And if you like what you hear on the show, you have any questions, you want to make any comments, you can reach me at radio at noblecapital.com. I encourage you folks to send in your questions about retirement or about the two wise gentlemen we have on the show here. Nothing's taboo, but we're going to compile all of these questions and maybe feature your question on the next listener questions episode. That's radio at noblecapital.com. Right on. I love those episodes too. <laughs> when we actually get to hear from the, the listeners, you know, last week's episode was called not just for dying anymore, where we talked about some of the non-traditional uses for life insurance, which of course is Jess's favorite subject. And he is a, a master of the life insurance policy. I'm a life insurance ninja. That's right. A master manipulator of life insurance. <laughs> so I have uh, capital contemplations for this week. Jess, you want to read this one for us? Yeah, man, for sure. Um, let's see here. The only things worth learning are the things you learn after you know it all. Ooh, I like that. I like yeah. that a lot. So for two retirement points, who said it? Was it Henry Ford, Harry S. Truman, or John D. Rockefeller? I'm going with Truman. 
You got a guess here, Jaden. I'm going to go with Jess again. Truman B. Yeah, yeah you're right. <laughs> Boom. Yeah. You know, last week we had two capital contemplations. Neither of we you nailed it. Both, right? But now, yeah, we're now you both win this week. My uh, Bruce Lee standard answer is not working anymore. Yeah. Well, I, and I had to stop using Bruce Lee quotes because I knew you were going to guess it anyway. So, uh-huh. but I, I can't make it too easy for you, you know? So, the only things worth learning are the things you learn after you know it all. What I thought we would do this episode is kind of take a step back and take, take stock of retirement. I want to kind of build a foundation for the listeners because if you listen, for, for example, to our life insurance show, we got really into the weeds. And there are a lot of complex ideas uh, and concepts when you get into really talking about some of these financial instruments, how you can use them, how they work, and all of those sort of things. So what I wanted to do is kind of put together sort of like an FAQ. You know, I'm sure, Jess, you hear the same questions all the time. There are a lot of fundamentals about retirement that we kind of assume people out there know already, but maybe they don't. So I wanted to kind of unpack some of these things and I'm, I'm giving you guys a softball this week. We, we're not going to get too, too into the weeds on anything, but really just kind of define some things and, and lay it all out there. I, I, I prefer to think of it as sunflowers, not weeds. Sunflowers? <laughs> they're prettier than, than <laughs> exactly. just regular old yeah. weeds. Technically weeds, but they're flowers. Yeah. So this week's episode is called Beginner's Mind. Okay. So we're going to start at the beginning. And we're going to talk about some of these things. And, and the first thing I really wanted to define for our listeners is the difference between qualified and non-qualified money. I think this is really foundational when you get to talking about retirement. So can you guys kind of unpack that a little bit? What's the difference? Yeah, for sure, man. So, you know, up until, I don't know, a while back, everybody had pretty much the same standard answer. Qualified meant it was tax deferred, non-qualified meant it was not. And then the Roth came along and kind of upset that apple cart. But even then, it wasn't really an ap- accurate um, you know, description. You can use annuities that are tax-deferred that are still non-qualified. There's a lot of ways to have tax-deferred um, and investments that are not qualified. So the term qualified means that an asset or an account qualifies for ERISA's rules on retirement accounts. And ERISA is? It's the regulatory agency that deals with retirement accounts. Okay. But the bottom line is sections four and five of the IRS tax code deal specifically with retirement accounts. Okay. Retirement accounts have very specific rules um, and strings attached to them, what you can and cannot do and when you can do it. You know, we all know about the 59 and a half. Um, most people are aware of the 70 and a half required minimum distribution. But I'll have clients that come in sometimes and we're listing assets and I'll say, okay, let's talk about your retirement accounts. And inevitably I'll have somebody say, well, I've got 600000 sitting over at Edward Jones. And I'll say, okay, is that a retirement account? Oh, yeah, it's a retirement account. And what he means is he intends to use the proceeds from that brokerage account to help fund his retirement. However, mm-hmm. it is not a retirement account, it's non-qualified. So the answer is actually very, very basic and very simple. A qualified account or asset is one that qualifies for the IRS's rules on retirement accounts in sections four and five. So IRA, Roth, 401k, 403b, 457, all these things, SEPs, everything that has strings attached to it. Therefore, by definition, a non-qualified asset or account is literally everything else. It does not qualify. So your toaster is a non-qualified asset. The money in your checking account is a non-qualified asset. A rental property, unless you did it through a self-directed IRA, is a non-qualified asset. So qualified Mm -hmm. simply means it qualifies for the IRS or ERISA's rules on retirement accounts. Non-qualified is everything else. 
So basically, this concept really sprung from taxation. Exactly. It's, it's yeah. It's it's the government's way of keeping track of what's been taxed and what hasn't yet been taxed, or or how it's been taxed. Because the Roth kind of gets in a weird uh, yeah. little thing in there. But basically, back in the Carter administration, somebody came up with the idea. Let me earn a dollar today, not pay tax on it. We'll kick it down the road. We'll let it hopefully grow tax-free. And now, since I didn't pay tax on it, I've got a greater amount to accumulate on, but it's all going to be tax-deferred. And then at some point when I use it, it will then be taxable. The notion was when I'm retired, I'll be making less money, so I'll be in a lower income tax bracket, so I'll pay less tax on it. Didn't really work out that way, um, Mm -hmm. but that was the notion behind it. Got it. So, again, real quick, what at what age can you access – qualified money for the most part 59 and a half there are some you know if if you have been somewhere for a while you have a 401k and you actually retire at 55 in a lot of circumstances you can then access that 401k at 55 but if you take part of it and roll it into an ira you're back to waiting to 59 and a half okay gotcha so uh, uh, okay so then you also mentioned 70 and a half is that the age at which you have to start accessing your qualified money? It is, and that really impacts most of my clients. Um, you know, you're back in the 90% of the population kind of scenario. Most people that have a 401k um, or a traditional IRA that is tax deferred, by the time they hit 70 and a half, they're using it. I mean, that was the whole purpose of it. So they're drawing it down, they're using it for living expenses, and they have surpassed the, uh, uh, the RMD requirement. But in the higher net worth, you have people that have all the income they need at 70 and a half, but they are now forced to take a required minimum distribution simply for the privilege of paying tax on it. So the government tells you, no, you can't access this money yet. And then they tell you, well, now you have to access it. And that, that's kind of not a, a, a huge win. Well, I guess it is. Yeah, it's, I mean, the logic sounds. Basically, you've, you've kicked the can down the road, and at some point, they want their, they want their tax, bottom line. Yeah. It's good stuff. You went on a run there, Jess. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, I'd say you got you the, asked the question, man. You got to get it. You, and the, you got the beginners part figured out. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah, and that's that's not just the beginners part of it, but that's a lot a lot more of it. And twice a month, we hold these events where you can you know we kind of dig into some of these things and we talk about we talk about retirement planning and income planning in general. All you have to do is go to noblecapitalradio.com, and you can RSVP for one of these dinner and discussion events. The next one's coming up Tuesday, June 4th at Fleming's. So go to noblecapitalradio.com and RSVP at your leisure. we got to take a break. We'll be right back. Talk 1370, the right choice. You're tuned in to the Noble Capital Radio Hour. Welcome back to the show where we explain some of the differences in the first segment between qualified and non-qualified money. And hopefully everybody out there, you're still on the same page with us here, but I think Jess explained it pretty eloquently. Thank you, Jess. (laughs) But in this episode, Beginner's Mind, we're kind of taking a step back and explaining some of the basics. For those of you who may have listened to the show before, we do get you know pretty into the weeds with some of the complex 
you know, concepts behind investing and retirement. And so I thought we'd just kind of take it back to basics this episode. It's sunflowers, dude. Sunflowers. Sorry, sunflowers. Do you know bamboo is a weed also? It is. It's an awesome it's, weed. It's a grass, actually. Yeah. But, you know, it just grows it so grows fast. It grows incredibly it fast. chokes out everything, too. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, that was totally beside the point. <laughs> but one of the things that... I often hear and that I think there's a lot of misunderstanding about is social security. Now, obviously I know that social security should only be a very small part of a comprehensive income plan, but it is something that people need to know about a little bit. So one of the questions you see all the time is, you know, how much social security can I count on? You know, for the clients that we deal with on a regular basis, Social Security is obviously a small part of their um, income that's going to come in. And a lot of the clients, we get to the point where it's so insignificant, we just wait till 70 and just take the maximum amount. Mm -hmm. But a lot of people walk in the door with the very emotional um, attachment to it. And their thought process is, I've been paying into this for 30, 40, 50 years. Right. It's my right. I want to make sure I get the most out that I can get. So when is the best time to start it so that overall when I die, I will have received the most amount? And my answer is the same to everybody. Tell me the day you're going to die, mm-hmm. and I'll tell you to the to the day when to start it. And they but, look at you like... <laughs> well, no, I mean, actually, a lot of people understand. And, and, and so the you know we're basing that on speculation. Um, and once I explain how we do income planning here, um, I kind of turn them back around to the to the spot where we start Social Security when it makes the most sense. Mm-hmm. Let's not consume an asset that's that's making better than eight percent, so that we can start Social Security at a certain time because of some anticipated, um, you know, death um, in an overall amount coming out. Let's do it when it actually makes sense. And once once we educate people on that, it's amazing how we uh, completely turn them around. Yeah. Well, so when are you going to die, Jess? Um, about 89 or so. 89? Yeah. Yeah. Jaden, when, when are you going to die? Um, I'm not planning on it. <laughs> Frankly, I haven't even picked a date yet. So, <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, you got your date so picked you're, up? You're way behind the curve. My, my planning, yeah. my actual planning is for 90. Not today. That's for yeah. sure. Yeah. yeah. But, you yeah. know, if I were to follow, if, if I were to follow my typical lifestyle, you know, it's probably not too far off and it probably involves a motorcycle. Yeah. <laughs> Hey, well, there's all, all sorts of things you can't account for, but you have to live while the living's good. I mean, don't perfect you, world. I want to go to sleep one night and not wake up. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, that, I mean, that would be ideal, right? Either that or be doing a wheelie down the freeway, you know, and then yeah. that's the last thing I remember. Look what you started, Sean. <laughs> just make yeah. it, just make it quick and make it fun. Right, yeah. That's all. I'm hard to kill, that's man. All. I'm yeah. pretty hard to kill. Well, I, I tell you what, guys, I'm going to die the day this show goes off the air. I tell you, I, I just it's a lot of pressure. That's I know. a lot of pressure on Dayton, yeah, especially. It's it's. Please give us a call and do business with <laughs> yeah, us, right. folks. It's yeah. it's it's what I live for. It yeah, really yeah. is. Show us that this radio show is actually beneficial to our practice. Please, right. so we're going to kill Sean. Yeah. <laughs> you heard that, everybody. My right. life is in your hands, so you have to come see us. So this next one, uh, I'd like to ask about pensions because pensions are something that. You know, some older people are very familiar with pensions and and what they are, but people who are younger may not even know what a pension is. But a question that I saw is that I actually have seen quite a bit here and there is, should I take my pension in a lump sum? So there's there's very specifically two things to consider there. Okay. Um, First and foremost, how comfortable are you and how confident are you in the company that has issued the pension that they're not going to end up being in and on. 
Mm. Um, and then second is just a comparison. So this company is going to offer you this much per year for the rest of your life. Maybe there's 100% survivorship, 50% survivorship. I mean, you look at all the, uh, the options there. <clears throat> and then sit down with me and say, okay, if we take the lump sum, where can I put it? And what kind of an income stream will that produce for you? Then we mm-hmm. compare the two and weigh all the options and make a decision from there. And I guess uh, you choose whichever one is, mm, let me see, more money. Well, I mean, not always. Um, it's it's also about risk. You know, I mean, if, yeah, the, if the company that you're with, um, you know, if, based on what I can do, based on what they can do, you can get 5% more with them, but you're not comfortable that they're going to honor that or be around for the rest of your life, then you make a, a judgment call. I've got a great client that came in with a fantastic pension from a really big company. I'm not going to mention him, but he just wasn't, you know, he wasn't 100% sure they were going to be around for the rest of his life. And we ended up taking a lump sum reallocated it. I got pretty close to what he was going to get from the other company, but it's now much more secure and he feels better and sleeps better at night. You know, that's a good point. I guess if you work for a company all your life, then you retire, you're receiving an, a, pens- a pension. If if that company goes under, your pension is gone? Or kind what of. It's not so much if it goes under. In the old days, a pension was pretty straight up. They'd buy an annuity, right? Okay. So they planned for this. Everybody got an pension. Um, so it was an annuity purchase with a solid company that nobody worried about. Then uh, some of these corporations got greedy and said, instead of purchasing annuity, let's just self-manage it ourselves. We think we can do better. It costs us less to produce the same amount for the, for the uh, employee. Mm-hmm. And then we started seeing the failure of those. I mean, you see pension plans fail all the time. Enron, a lot of uh, public firemen and police pension plans have failed. Um, it's just, it's a wild card now. They're, they're not going with the super ultra secure method that they used to go. It's, it's more speculation. So those companies who are, you said, self-managing those pensions, they're basically just taking them and investing in the stock market, right? Not necessarily in the stock market, but they're investing it in, in whatever investments they feel are the ones that work out the best for them. However, that being said, I mean, there's so many, you know, Cook County in uh, Chicago. I mean, there's a lot of a lot of parts of this country that are very corrupt that the unions have gotten into and then there's all kinds of paybacks and payoffs so there's a lot of times when people are investing in things that are not necessarily in the best interest of the employee but the best interest of the person that's managing the pension and that's where you got to look out yeah and i might add to that companies too uh, that you mentioned enron earlier right you know so yeah i guess that's not totally guaranteed right yeah i mean most of my generation falls under the too big to fail um, philosophy, you know, General Motors. I mean, these huge right. corporations that've been around forever, and you get this comfort level. They're they're not going anywhere, right? Well, that's right. that's not really true. I mean, it can happen to pretty much anybody. Yeah, and and we also saw during the recession, the those larger companies got a lot of support as well from the government. So. Well, from from you and me, but yeah, yeah, that's right. <laughs> it was me. It was all me. Remember, the government doesn't have anything that it didn't take from somebody else. So yeah. if the government bailed somebody out, that means we bailed somebody out. Right. Yep. Absolutely. Um, but my point was, you were saying too big to fail, and clearly a company like that was too big to fail. So I don't know. Does that does that make a pension from that company more secure than from another company? I mean, it's a judgment call. Like I said, it's yeah. not. It's not the the consideration is not whether the company will fail. Although yeah. if the company fails, then we got a problem. Yeah, it's how the pension fund is managed. Gotcha. Who's managing it and what their what their motives are. Okay. So you can have you can have a very successful company that crashes a pension fund. Gotcha. So as kind of dovetailing with pensions, 
are annuities, and you had mentioned annuities as maybe being part of uh, of an overall pension plan, right? So, um, just real quick, I just wanted to touch on what is an annuity and how are annuities taxed? You know, man, I, I actually went to bed fairly early last night and got a full night's sleep, and I'm full of energy, so I've completely hijacked the show. So I'm going to let Jaden take this. Yeah, all right. No, please, I'm I'm enjoying this, <laughs> fellas. This is great. Um, I. Uh, I think most people, most of our listeners know an annuity is a financial vehicle, a retirement vehicle. Um, that That's generally what they are. There's a lot of features on annuities um, these days that you can add and, um, and kind of, um, you know, uh, spruce them up a little bit. I, I like to refer to them as kind of a, a chassis of a vehicle mm-hmm. uh, that you can then customize. But... Um, but yeah, that's uh, in in general. I would I would call an annuity a retirement vehicle that works a lot like a tax deferred IRA. It has a lot of the same uh, features and same rules. Yeah. So you basically purchase an annuity, and they uh, at, at some point it starts to you start to get distributions from it, right? So it's kind of like a regular form of income in the same way that that a pension is. So we have to go to break, but before we do, I just want to remind you that you can join us for a dinner and discussion about some of these topics. We'll dig in a little bit deeper into income planning as a whole, but just go to noblecapitalradio.com and you can RSVP for one of our events right there on the page. Back to the Noble Capital Radio Hour. Welcome back. If you're just joining us, we've been talking about some of the basic concepts and FAQs that you should understand when you start planning your retirement. Now, for most people out there, particularly with the beginner's mind, so to speak, when people think about retirement, they think about their 401k. I think that's probably one of the most common tools that people are exposed to, right? At an early. Oh yeah, everybody's been conditioned that their whole lives. I get that all the time. I'll sit down and say, uh, "Do you have a retirement plan?" Oh, of course I do. Mm-hmm. That's great, man. Let me check it out. What do you? Well, I got a four hundred one k. That's not a plan. That's an account. And then, <laughs> <laughs> what are you going to do with it? Spin it down and hope that I run out before it does. Like, yeah, horrible plan. Yeah, absolutely. So, real quick, what's what are a couple of the main differences between a four hundred one k? and an IRA, which is another account that some people may be familiar with. So an IRA is an individual retirement account, and that can describe a traditional or a Roth is still considered an IRA. So I think you're referring to a traditional, which is a tax-deferred um, retirement account. So mm-hmm. a 401k is an employer-sponsored, tax-deferred, in most cases, retirement account. So okay. the limitations are higher on a 401k on what you contribute. So for, for my age, on an IRA, I can do 7,000 a year, you can do 6,500 a year, and that's it. Mm-hmm. Um, a 401k, I think they're up to 25000 right now that you can contribute, but your employer can also contribute towards that. So you can have a safe harbor where they just contribute 2, 3, 4, 5% of your income, regardless of whether you contribute or not. Mm-hmm. You can have a matching. A lot of times they'll say, okay, we'll match whatever you contribute up to 4, 5, 6%. Mm-hmm. Sometimes they don't match at all. Um, but either way, it is a, a 401k is a means to be able to contribute more towards a tax-deferred retirement account than in a traditional IRA. Now, it also has more strings attached to it. Um, sometimes the fees are higher. 
you've got an administrator, so there's an extra layer between you and your money. Um, mm. You can't uh, often you can't get to it while you're still employed. Um, so there's a there's a lot of nuances that go between the two. But the the basic fundamental um, thing that is the same about them is you're contributing money pre-tax. It is then growing on that pre-tax amount, and then when you take it out, it's considered income and it's taxable. Okay. Well, I don't know about you, but I don't want anybody between me and my money, <laughs> administrator or not. Good luck with that. There's always going to be somewhere. <laughs> the, the IRS says you got to have a custodian, and they want to make sure you don't take your IRA money and try to run to Vegas and, and you know leverage it up and then lose it all. Right. So it's, a, it's somewhat of a matter of them kind of look, you know, they're trying to look out for you to make sure you don't screw yourself over. Wink, wink. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> nice. So what does it mean then to be vested in a 401k? Um, all right, I'm going to shut up and let Jaden take that one. <laughs> Just right back at you. So, so some companies, um, our company, for example, um, you get hired, you contribute, they're matching at some point, and when you leave, it's all yours. Um, there are some instances where a company says, we will contribute to this either in a matching situation or just a contribute situation, but you have to stay here for a certain amount of time to be able to keep what we contribute. So one example gotcha. would be, let's say you have a three-year vesting period, and they are matching what you put in up to 6%. So you're putting 10% of your income in, they are matching that up to 6%, and then two years into it, you bail. You don't get to keep what they've contributed. You only get to keep what you put in. Oh, okay. And is that, that's pretty typical then for a 401k? Eh, I don't know. It's typical. I mean, we don't have that here. We don't have a vesting period. Um, oh, okay. I think, honestly, I think it's kind of, I'm not going to use the word on the air, but I mean, it's not cool, in my opinion, investing. If they're going to contribute, contribute. You know, It's yeah. a means of trying to keep you at the company. Yeah. Okay. Well, that makes sense. So going back to IRAs, what happens if, say, you inherit a tax-deferred IRA. Okay, that's an easy one. So no matter when you start it, as long as it's tax-deferred at 70 and a half, whether you need it or not, you've got to start taking some of it and pay tax on it. Um, I won't bore you with the the uh, formulas, but the tax- Oh, bore us, <laughs> come on. You've so, been doing a good job so far. I'm all right, so at 70, the IRS says you got till 97.4 to live. So therefore, logically, at 70, you have 27.4 years to live. So that year, you have to take the total of all your tax-deferred IRAs, divide by 27.4, and whatever that amount is, you have to receive, and it then becomes income. Then the next year, it becomes 26.5, the next year, it's 25.4, and it's a weird kind of a bell curve, because the older you get, the longer your life expectancy is, if that makes any sense. So at 70, they give you 27.4 years, but if you make it to 95, they're like, all right, you're pretty healthy, you might last even longer. But either way, whatever the total of all your, your tax-deferred stuff is, you have to take a certain amount out and pay tax on it. So let's say I'm 65 years old and I've got a million dollars on my IRA and I die and I leave it to my daughter. The year that I would have been 70 and a half, she now has to take RMDs, okay. but it's based on her age. So it's however old she is, you know, 97.4 minus however old she is. Let's say I'm now into my RMDs, I'm a 75, and I die and leave it to my daughter. I'm already starting RMDs, so she has to continue RMDs, but it's based on her age, not my age. So whenever the original owner of the IRA hits the point where they would have been taking RMDs, whoever inherits it inherits it also has to start taking RMDs, but it's based on their age. So you leave it, you leave it up a tax-deferred account to a one-year-old, whatever's in there, they divide by 97.4, and they have to receive that at that point. Okay. Jaden, I think Jess was absolutely right. That was totally boring. <laughs> I told you that. <laughs> like numbers, numbers. No, but that but that makes that makes total sense. So 
is that the wise thing to do with an inherited IRA is just to take it as RMDs or what about, I mean, can you take the whole thing? You can, it depends on, on what you need. So, you know, you're, I mean, in a realistic, typical scenario, you're 50, 55, 60, and, and your parents die. And uh-huh. they, you leave, they leave you this, arm, uh, this IRA. If you've been responsible in your planning and you're living within your means, you probably don't need to just go cash it in and let it you know, throw you into the 37% tax bracket. So at that point, mm. you probably would take the RMDs or maybe a little bit more if you want to do something with it. Um, typically, when we end up seeing you know, a 30 or 35-year-old, um, they usually go cash it in and then boom, 40% goes up in smoke. So okay. the smart thing to do is use it as you need it. So that's that's the main consideration is the tax issue. Correct. Really. So you want to be smart about how you take it and and therefore how much tax you have to pay. Yeah, I mean there's yeah. it's a pretty big shame if I've been prudent my whole life and I've been very smart about how I've been putting money away and I've accumulated this really really nice IRA that would have allowed me to draw it down over time be in an income tax bracket that makes sense. And I pass away and leave it to an idiot kid who then immediately goes and cashes it all in, and 40% of it goes back to the government, and they go blow it on stupid stuff. That's a shame. And we see that all the time. Well, let me ask you this. Can you put restrictions on basically managing it from the grave? Can you put restrictions on how your beneficiary is able to take that money? Yeah. So you can, you can wrap it up in a trust. Okay. Um, it gets kind of weird in there because really you own the IRA. Um, a trust can't truly own it, but a trust can direct how it's distributed. Okay. So a trust could dictate that whoever got it can only take RMDs or can only take a certain amount or they can put you know different qualifiers on when it can be taken out. Right. Like you have to get a college degree before you can have access to that I mean, that would be one thing. Like I mean, we yeah. see, believe it or not, we see more lives either significantly impeded or ruined by large inheritances um, than we do, you know, the opposite. It's a, it's a shame. Yeah. Boy, I sure am glad I've never gotten a large inheritance. <laughs> so one thing I was curious about is I hear you talk about Roth conversions from time to time. And I think I kind of understand what you mean, but can you kind of explain a little bit about how a Roth conversion works and why you would want to do that? Yeah, man, sure. So there's several different reasons why you would do a Roth conversion. Um, you know, for the people in this room, we, uh, there's a limit on income as to whether or not you can even contribute to an, R- to an IRA. I'm sorry, to a Roth. So the same people that wrote these rules also make too much money to contribute to a Roth, so they've opened themselves a back door that all the rest of us can use. So mm-hmm. we can contribute to an IRA. And whether I can contribute to a Roth is irrelevant because at that point, 30 seconds later, I can just convert to a Roth. So the first level of Roth conversion would be for a higher wage earner to be able to get into a Roth, but it's done by way of a contribution. Okay, So I take, put the money in the IRA and then immediately convert it to a Roth. So my tax return shows a a contribution of non-tax and then a conversion, which the tax just comes right back in. So it's a wash. The second thing would be we've accumulated quite a bit in a tax deferred IRA over time. And the most popular for me is now we've retired. And if we've accumulated enough non-qualified assets to be able to live for a couple of years, you know, mm-hmm. even three years on just non-qualified already taxed assets, then we keep our taxable income as low as humanly possible. And we can make quite a bit of money and stay in the 22% tax bracket. So when you take money and convert it from a Roth to, I'm sorry, from a traditional to a Roth, the amount you convert just becomes income, bottom line. So if I'm already in a low, low, low tax bracket and I can convert just enough to keep me in that 22% tax bracket, then that's going to be the least amount of tax that I'll ever pay on that. 
So the, the second thing that we do is, is those first couple of years after retirement, try to get as much over into the tax-free scenario instead of the tax-deferred right. scenario as possible. Yeah. Okay. No, I mean, that's, that makes a lot of sense, you know, with regard to tax efficiency and distribution. I know that's really something that is a, a pillar of the way that we put together, you know, income plans. So Yeah, and then even aside from, aside from that, those first couple of years of retirement, as you're going, there's no reason not to take advantage of that. So anytime that you are, you can look at November or so, and you know about how much money you're going to make. Yeah. If you've got another twenty or $30,000 that you could earn before you go into the next tax bracket, Take a look at it. Maybe it makes sense to convert that much to a Roth and pay the lower tax amount on it. Or if you're already in the 32% tax bracket and you're going to just go up to even higher, then right. maybe you wait. Yeah. Okay. Well, here's a question. Why don't you let Jaden talk, man? Hey, I've been trying to get him to talk. He doesn't want to talk. <laughs> He's going, you're going on a run today, man. I uh, Yeah, I, I feel like a snob over here, not not uh, sounding off on these basics. But I'm, as, as I'm listening to it, I'm, I'm imagining some of our listeners really appreciate going back to the basics like this. I hope so. Um, because, you know, we take these things for granted. We talk about it all day long. Um, but, yeah, what's an annuity? What's a, what's a Roth IRA? What's an RMD? Um, these are all important things, but I, I think what most people want to hear is, you know, what at the end of the day, if, if we're just answering these questions and educating you on on these topics, you, w- what are you going to do with this information, yeah, right. this knowledge, right? Now I know about it. What now, am I going to do? Now, now, now you can win one of Sean's pop quizzes when he asks you a question, you yeah. know, about what, what something right. is, but is that going to help you retire and uh, retire with lifestyle confidence and fulfillment, which is what we do for our clients. I'm hoping that it yeah. sparks enough interest in the listeners to want to come in and, and, and answer that question. Sit down and let me help answer that question. Actually, my thought behind the whole thing was I was doing Jess a favor because when they do come to see Jess, all of these things will already be explained <laughs> and he, he won't have to spend the first couple of hours explaining sort of the basic concepts. So you're welcome, Jess. That's a good point. Eh? I'm, I'm shortening your appointments. <laughs> brilliant. That's brilliant. <laughs> yeah. See what I did there? Um, so just just real quick, we're talking about requirement uh, required minimum distributions. Okay. Words, Sean. Required minimum distributions and you have to start taking them at 70 and a half. So kind of. Kind of. Okay. Now, don't confuse me here. I'm, I've got a thought process. But how how do they calculate how much is your required minimum distribution? I'm assuming that it's different for everybody, right? Or is it kind of across the board, you have to take this much a year? Well, it's different for everybody, assuming that everybody has a different um, you know, balance in their tax-deferred um, accounts. But basically, whatever the total is of all your tax-deferred accounts, the calendar year, the tax year in which you become 70 and a half, right. you take the value of all those on December 31st divided by 27.4 and that amount you have to take as income it gets added to whatever rest of the income you have and then it's paid um, taxes paid on the total at whatever income bracket you're in does your RMD change over time the amount that you have to take yeah absolutely so every year it's a different advisor and then it's based based on a different you know a different uh, balance okay again math (laughs) (laughs) no that's great and you know, if you folks out there want to get in touch with us, you have questions, you can connect with us at a dinner and discussion event where we're actually going to talk about the meat of income planning and not just the basic concepts so that you kind of know how to approach income planning. And, you know, even better yet, how we approach income planning. So just go to noblecapitalradio.com and you can RSVP right there on the page. We'll be right back.
Talk, 1370, the right choice. Once again, this is the Noble Capital Radio Hour. And we are back. And if you just tuned in, we've been giving you the download on some retirement basics. So basically, Jess has been going on a tear over here. He is sweating. You should see him. He has just really gone off and kind of explained almost every basic concept of retirement planning that I can think of. So we've got your retirement accounts. We've got qualified versus non-qualified money, Social Security, pensions, et cetera, et cetera. So why have we taken a step back to explain all of these foundational concepts of retirement? And really because we use almost every single one of them in order to build a comprehensive retirement plan and then some, right? There's a lot of other types of investments and insurance products and and different things that we can use for income that we put together in a plan. So real quick, I want to kind of talk a little bit just about building a plan as a whole. And for me, the, the first concept that needs to be kind of tamped down is retirement savings, because the connotation there is that you're just going to save up a bunch of money, then you're going to spend it down. But we do, we, we set up income streams for retirement income, so you have money coming in. So talk a little bit about that and how you just at a high level kind of put together multiple income streams into what we call the laddered income plan. So our vision for retirement is to continue to live with an income stream. We've, we've lived for 30, 40, 50 years with a job living on income. That's, that's what we're used to. We have a paycheck coming in. Um, a lot of people, it amazes me how many have not thought this thing all the way through. They've been conditioned the way everybody has. You save, 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 invest, you know, however you want to save. And then when you retire, you just spin it down. There's this one thought process out there that I hear a lot of uh, stockbrokers tell you. Over time, the market will always produce at least 4%. So no matter what your portfolio is, if you just spend 4%, you should be fine. Well, there's two problems with that. First of all, you might need four, you might need more than 4% of your portfolio to get by, and a lot of people do. And second, that whole over time, it brings back 4%. But if that's over a 25 or 30-year period, and we take a dip in the beginning, and you're still spending 4%, that, that's not linear. It doesn't go all the way across the board. Yeah, so You're kind of cutting your legs out from under yourself yeah, if you do exactly. that. Yeah, exactly. So you know, it's, if you're spending it, and we have a correction early on in retirement, it's got to climb back up and recover before it even gets back up to that overall average of 4%. And the only thing that makes a portfolio decrease in value faster than it losing money in the market is spending it while it's doing that because you've got less to build back up on. Mm-hmm. So the whole, we call it a spin down. Spin down is, is, is not the uh, optimal solution in my, in my mind. You know, if you've got yeah. $20 million and you're living on 100 grand a year, yeah, you're fine. But that's not the typical uh, person. Yeah. If you've listened to the show before, you may have heard Jaden over here talking about buckets. And when we say buckets, we're talking about different streams of income, right? And so I know that you guys kind of build an income plan to sort of leverage, you know, growth and to manage risk and to do, you know, those sort of things as well. So. So what are some of those income streams? We've talked a little bit about like a retirement savings account. Well, that might be one of them or a pension, et cetera, et cetera. What are a few other things that you like to leverage when putting together an income plan? 
Well, I mean, that's a that's a pretty broad stroke, so I don't want to identify individual instruments, but I can identify the, the classes of them. So yeah. what what you want to do, or what, <clears throat> what I would like for you to do, is take the, the fixed assets and then break them up into several asset classes, each of which has a different purpose. So ultra-safe, super low or no risk, consumes the asset, but it lasts forever. That's one income stream. Then we've got super low risk, and it's tax-free. So that's another income stream, and we save it for later on when inflation has caused us to need more money. We add that tax-free income so we don't bump up into the next tax bracket. Then we've got what I consider a relatively low risk, but it's not guaranteed, and that preserves the asset, and you're just skimming the, the, the return off the top of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the last category is just you know the market. And you know there's, there's always going to be in our uh, plan something left in the market. Sure. Whether or not that's 100% for growth because we've got all the income solved elsewhere or if we're relying on some of that for income, but it's typically above and beyond you know, what we need, um, and it's just some extra. So if something goes wrong in the market, our income or at least our basic or fundamental needs are completely solved. Most of the clients that we have, we can solve not just their fundamental needs, but everything. Vacations, hobbies, gifts to charities, spoiling grandkids. Everything you need, I can get into an income plan. Mm -hmm. And then what's left over, we can look at the market, and there's a different risk tolerance because if something goes wrong, all your income is solved. And I don't mean basic income. I'm talking about your full lifestyle. Yeah. Okay. And I was going to turn to Jaden on this one. The reason we kind of really put together a comprehensive income plan like this with multiple income streams is that so our clients can retire with? Uh, It's coming to me here. Let's see. Here, say it again. Oh, okay, I got you. <laughs> lifestyle. Is that right? Yes. Okay. And? Lifestyle, confidence, and fulfillment. There lifestyle, confidence, and Man. fulfillment. It's not just a... That was a softball. <laughs> it's not just a basic retirement. It is your retirement, you know? Exactly. So we want you to, to live it the way you want to live it. And also, we want you to put your money where your mouth is, gentlemen. This is where each week my esteemed co-hosts have to come up with a phrase related to this week's episode, and I get to amuse myself by telling them how they have to deliver it. Every episode, I seal the guidelines for the game in the envelope, and I open it on air so they never know what to expect. And we've been talking about beginner's mind, and this is actually kind of a concept that comes from Eastern philosophy. So if I stump you guys this week, you have to go on a meditation retreat together, and you can't come back to work until you achieve enlightenment. So that's what you guys are in for this week. So That actually sounds pretty uh, enticing, man. Yeah? yeah, are you gonna are you gonna uh, throw it this week? You're walk, gonna... walk away from all this and go hang out and meditate till I achieve enlightenment. Yeah, yeah, you're not. You're, that's not a deterrent, bro. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm glad I can encourage you to fail. All right, let's let her rip. Okay, guys, I'm keeping it easy on you this week. I want you to sum up today's episode in exactly four words. Cool. All right, here we go. While the guys are racking their brains trying to put this one together, I just want to remind you that you can learn more about us at noblecapital.com. Check us out on Facebook at Noble Capital, on Instagram at Noble Capital Radio, and you can download every episode of the Noble Capital Radio Hour wherever you get your podcasts.
All right, guys, that is all the time you have. I hope you got something for me because I really made this one easy for you. So I think you did, man. Who wants to go first? Jaden. He's been silent the whole time. All right, I'll fire it off. You ready? Steer. Back to the basics. Ooh, that's pretty good. That's pretty yeah, good. Yeah, that is. And I, that does sum up this episode because we really went back to the basics. It definitely be you got a good one. Mine's along the same lines. Keep it simple, stupid. <laughs> Two very concise, very straight to the point answers there. That's awesome. Well, again, I just want to remind everybody that if you have questions, you can submit them to us at radio at noblecapital.com, and we'll compile them into our next listener questions episode. But guess what, guys? That's it for the Noble Capital Radio Hour this week. I'm Jaden. I'm Jeff. I'm Sean. And remember, life is short. Plan to enjoy it. We'll see you back here next week. All opinions expressed by the speakers on this radio program are solely the opinions of those speakers and do not reflect the opinions of Noble Capital, Acute Financial, Streamline Funding, or their respective affiliates. Each speaker's opinions are based upon information the speakers believe to be reliable, but accuracy and completeness cannot be guaranteed. Each speaker's statements and opinions are subject to change without notice. The information discussed on this radio program is provided for general informational purposes only, does not take into account your particular investment objectives, financial situation, or needs, and is not intended as recommendations appropriate for you, and should not be construed as investment, legal, tax, or other advice on any subject matter. The information discussed in this radio program is not intended and should not be viewed or construed as a recommendation, advice, offer, or inducement to buy, sell, or hold securities, insurance products, or any other financial products. Before acting on any information discussed in this radio program, you should seek appropriate financial, investment, and other professional advice based on your particular facts and circumstances. Current or past performance is not indicative of future results. You should be aware of the real risk of loss and following any strategy or investment discussed on this radio program. No outcome or profit is guaranteed. Any transmission of information through this program is provided on a non-confidential basis and does not create an advisor-client relationship relationship between you or anyone of Noble Capital, Acute Financial, or Streamline Funding. Some information provided in this program may reference other service providers, including websites operated and maintained by third parties. Such information is included solely as a convenience to you, and the provision of such information does not imply a responsibility for such third-party information or an endorsement of the linked site, its operator, or its contents. Acute Financial and Streamline Funding are both wholly owned subsidiaries of Noble Capital. Noble Capital, Acute Financial, Streamline Funding, and or their respective affiliates and principals, which may include the speakers and guests featured on this radio program, may receive compensation from the sale of financial products featured in this program. Reproduction, distribution, republication, and or retransmission of any portion of this program is strictly prohibited without the prior written permission of Acute Financial, Noble Capital, and Streamline Funding.